GoBirds Radio, presented by the Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app, official sportsbook of the real Philly fan. What's going on? It's Elliot Shore Parks for my friends at Window Nation. And if you've had enough of your windows keeping the house chilly, then fight the February cold with Window Nation. Right now, replace your windows and save big with 50% off all window styles, plus zero down, zero interest, and no payments for 24 months. With proven quality and service, it's no wonder thousands have trusted Window Nation. Don't miss out. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com to schedule your free in-home estimate. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. This is is the Go Birds Podcast. Birds podcast presented by Parks Casino and Sportsbook. Elliot Short Parks, James Seltzer with you. Uh, again, we were going to record last night. We had all kinds of technical issues. We were about as good as the Eagles defense was yesterday. So we're here now, Elliot. What, what I'll say to you to start is I went into that game with no expectations. I picked the Chiefs to cover. I expected the Eagles to lose. And yet somehow, some way, I still get frustrated with the loss. How you doing, pal? You know, when we recorded on Monday after, I guess it would have been Tuesday after the Cowboys game, if I remember correctly, I was more frustrated about the game or more like pessimistic, I guess I should say. I was frustrated about the 49ers loss. The Cowboys won, I was pessimistic about, right? I was concerned about Hurts, all those things. And 24 hours after the game or whatever it was, I was probably a little more pessimistic. So in this case, I actually think it's a good thing we waited because I have a very different perspective and I'm actually not feeling as bad about the team as I think maybe you're going to be. And then I also think I want to hands up and admit I made a mistake last week. And uh, so we can talk about that. Ooh, Was your mistake bailing on Jalen Hurts too quickly? Yes. Yes. That was Thank absolutely you, sir. Thank day. you. I fell victim to it. I rode <laughs> the roller coaster, which I like to do. And I've said repeatedly on this pod, but I think I overreacted a little bit to Jalen. Now we'll get into it. And there were still some troubling parts, but I do think ultimately like I overreacted to the Cowboys game. Yeah. And look, it was the worst game he's ever played in Eagles uniform. So I get it. You know, it's jarring when you see someone that you believe can be something look like he looked in that game. But that's mm-hmm. why I kept saying like, again, it's, it's this, 
last game was his eighth start in the NFL. He's still young in his career, and I think there is a lot to be excited about. We'll get to Jalen because I think, look, I don't think anyone's going to say that yesterday the reason they lost was because of Jalen Hurts. Yes, he missed a couple throws. He still needs to be better, obviously, but... Man, there were other reasons they lost that football game. There's so much to get into. We'll get into the Lane Johnson thing. I mean, just out of nowhere, where's Lane? We'll get into that. Um, Obviously, they go into the game without four-fifths of their starting offensive line. I thought, you know, handled well considering. But, Elliot, we got to start. Obviously, the defense, I think, very clearly the reason they lost that game yesterday. If we're just going to boil it down to its most simple thing. But, man, we got to start with the coaching. We have to. I, I... I know there was some positives from Nick yesterday, and I want to get to Jonathan Gannon, who I have no positives for. Zero. I got I got nothing on that. I know there was some positives. Yeah, we're going to disagree on Okay, this. we're going to get to it. Okay. Uh, but Nick Sirianni, like, again, I thought he was better yesterday than the Cowboys game. There were some nice plays. There were some nice offensive things we saw. But Elliot, again, again, week after week, week after week, the penalties – destroying drives on offense and on defense. This Chiefs team is way too good to give extra plays to, extra opportunities. And I know that on a basic level, the players have to be smarter, but at what point do we say, head coach Nick Sirianni, you are the most undisciplined team in the league, in the entire league. They are averaging 2.3 more penalties than any other team in football. Elliot, at a certain point, this has to come back on Nick Sirianni, and it has to be the thing that we're talking about. Yeah, so what you said in there about the defense being the reason they lost, that look, the defense was was bad yesterday. We'll get into that. But I think the second thing of what you said is is where I land on it. Um, the reason they lost this game was penalties. And the reason they're one and three is penalties. Like Sirianni has had his bad moments for sure. Jalen Hurts was very bad against the Cowboys. The defense the last two weeks has been bad. Like those things play a factor. But if they even had just like half the amount of penalties, or I guess that would be a big jump. But let's just say a few less penalties in key spots, like they legitimately might be three and one or two and two. Like you might win the San Francisco game. And I think you have a chance to win the chiefs game. Now, ultimately the defense was so bad that they probably weren't going to win that game. Like they were not able to stop the chiefs. They, I mean, they did have an interception, but ultimately outside of that, like the chiefs were scoring at will. So you probably weren't going to win that game. But, but the thing about yesterday was I didn't think the chiefs looked, like a considerably more talented roster. Now, maybe I'm just being naive to that, but the, the way I'll defend it is like the Eagles also moved the ball up and down the field, right? The Chiefs defense could not stop the Eagles. The main difference in that game to me was the penalties, the red zone execution, and then obviously Tyreek Hill is just unbelievable. Like seeing him in person, like I've seen Quez Watkins and I've seen other fast receivers, but like seeing Tyreek Hill run in person it, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Like, he's just on a different level of speed. So, but, but, but to what Jalen Hurts said after the game, which I agree with, like, they were not outclassed by the Chiefs. Like, they were outcoached because if you want to put the penalties on the coaches, but they, they ran with them for the majority of that game. What killed them was the penalties. Like, the third and sixth where Josh Sweat jumps offside. There's another uh, penalty on Rodney McLeod that negates a uh, Josh Sweat sack. Tons of penalties on offense, obviously, taking away three touchdowns. Like, they shot themselves in the foot, and ultimately their record is what they are. They're one and three. That's what they are as a football team. But I don't believe they're one and three because of a deficient roster. I don't believe they're one and three because Nick Sirianni is a disaster. I believe they're one and three because they're a young team, and this is what you said all offseason, and this is what I should have listened to. They're a young team that doesn't yet know how to win and a team that's going to shoot themselves in the foot. And I think it's an important distinction to make between a team that's just like bad and has no talent 
versus a team that's shooting themselves in the foot. And I think that's what I saw yesterday versus Chiefs. I think it's a really fair point about that. Uh, I don't agree with everything you said, but I do agree with that. And look, I, I you're right. Like This is the type of team I expected coming into the season. I expected a team that was going to make mistakes, that was going to not you know, always have their best game, that there were going to be games where, whether it's Sirianni or Gannon or Hurts, were going to cost them the game because they're young and they need time to grow and all that. I, I think that's all fair. I, I, I will definitely push back on the roster thing. Like, It felt like the Chiefs could score at will whenever they wanted. I mean, there was no question that if that game had been closer, the Chiefs would have won it because they wouldn't have been able to, to stop them in the end. Like yeah, but that, they, do that, they do that to everybody, though. Yeah, but I mean, they're they're one and two. They're one and two coming into the game. I mean, they are one and two coming into the game. I get that. I get that. The one game with thirty-five points. But you got to admit that there is deficiencies from a player perspective, from a talent perspective. Certainly, with the depth on this team, as we've seen, you lose Brandon Graham, and all of a sudden, this defensive line is not nearly as formidable as it was before. That linebackers are a a travesty, and I know linebackers have been bad. A travesty, and I know that we have undervalued that position here for a long time. But this is about as bad as a group has played in as long as I can remember. And we've had bad groups of linebackers here. The safeties have been horrendous. I know it was nice to see Rodney McLeod out there, but Anthony Harris has not been good. I mean, (laughs) he wasn't great. That's my point. It was nice to see him out there, but, but the safeties have played poorly. So, I do think that part of it is the talent thing, but look, I, I we got to get into Gannon too. I, I mean, this 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 scheme that he is running, and maybe look, maybe it is to to be fair. They played the Chiefs and the Cowboys back to back weeks. Yes, probably two yes. of the top five offenses in the NFL. Certainly, certainly two top seven. If not or eight. the top two. It, who knows? They're up there. The point is, they're right. in the discussion for best offenses in the NFL. I get that. And I and I do. I, you're kind of minimizing the talent thing. Like I do think that they are a deficiency from a talent perspective, and you know it all comes back to Howie for me. But even still, man, like the the way this defense get, gets gashed, the way they just allow the running game, 200 yards. Andy Reid and Andy Reid offense ran 200 yards. Clyde Edwards-Alaire isn't even that good. Like every time I watch him, I'm like. This guy was taken in the first round. Yesterday, he looked like a first-rounder against the Eagles. Like, th- th- there is a real issue with his defense. It's it's an inability to get off the field, inability to stop third and longs. Like, all these issues keep cropping up and up again. And I think at a certain point, you do have to put this on Jonathan Gannon and say, I understand that you might not have all the talent in the world, but you got to figure something else out because you just can't keep letting this happen back-to-back weeks. Yeah, so let's get into the defense now. Then I do want to talk about the penalties, but I don't want to mix them up because I think they both deserve their own conversation. So to your point about the defense, like this is where I'm torn, and you touched on it a little bit, and I will hands up admit, like I've been glass half full all offseason, right? So I could definitely be looking at it that way. But I think when you talk about versus the Chiefs, like they were bad for sure. But then I look at the four games, and I'm like, well, the Cowboys and Chiefs do it to everybody, and the Eagles defense – was why they were in the game versus the Falcons early and why they were in the game at all against the 49ers. So I think there's been some hit or miss. But I think what's disappointing about the defense versus both Dallas and Kansas City is two main, well, three main things to me. The first is there's no creativity from the scheme. Agreed. Like they, they, they basically just let, the, let them do what they want and then try to stop them in the red zone, but also just like a very defeatist attitude going into the game. Like Sirianni didn't say it like, after the Chiefs game, 
But if they went into the Cowboys game feeling they were going to give up points, there's no way they went into the Chiefs game thinking like, okay, we can hold this team in the 20s, well, right? And, like, and the Elliot, it's a great off. point. And you saw it early on with those decisions, the fourth down decisions. The announcers even talked about how Nick Sirianni said he had to be aggressive. He has to go for it all the time because they got to keep up with the Chiefs. I, I, very with you. Right. So the the attitude in, in general, the defense, and I'm I'm not a big like, the defense has to be tough, like go hit somebody type guy. Like maybe that's just my personality. So I don't feel that about the defense. But I, I heard, at the, I believe it was Richie talking about this. Like there is something to be said for the fact that they're not an aggressive defense. Like yep. they're definitely a sit back and react defense more than a bring it to you defense. And that's disappointing from Gannon too, because all training camp, mm-hmm. and this is what I thought was going mm-hmm. to happen was that it was going to be like, creative schemes and blitzes and all those things like say what you want about multiples Elliot multiples multiples yes I mean multiples so that's that to me like the the that in general the the lack of like a scheme or creativity or adjustment anything like that like I would rather see them go down getting burned with creative blitzes than just go down like they're going down now which is sitting back giving people cushion and just getting gashed yes yes because you're getting gashed either way at least at least with creative blitzes like who like it might work who knows well this is not working especially especially with it knowing the personnel you have and knowing how important turnovers are to what you do i mean he talked all offseason about slapping the ball away and all that and obviously we haven't seen that yet but just the idea of of getting creative to yes you might get burned but you're you're losing anyway defensively like maybe you force something maybe you cause a turnover maybe you get a big play like that has to be better than five yards eight yards three yards six yards Yards, 10 yards so the second thing to me and it's funny because eric wilson had an interception interception yesterday right so like i'm going to kill him and rightfully so he had a bad game but it is bad funny season to too actually, bad season no but, yeah. well that's what i'm saying yeah like yeah. overall he's been non-existent outside of the know, interception the turnover of the yeah, game like it's so credit funny. To him for doing it yeah. but <laughs> like i mean and it's 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 the three guys it's kerrigan Eric Wilson and Anthony Harris yep. have been complete non-factors for this team. Like all look like strikeouts by Howie, right? And I thought they were good signings. I'm going to be wrong about that, it seems. But ultimately, Howie's the one that gets paid to make these decisions, and he's going to be wrong. It looks like, right? So, but to focus back on Eric Wilson, it seems like in the Jonathan Gannon defense, linebackers are far more important than they were under Jim Schwartz. But the issue with that is they've neglected the position for so many years, and when they've tried to address it, they've done a poor job. Like. You know, we can talk, we don't want to have to get into Howie Roseman's draft record and his like ability to evaluate talent. But one thing that he, this team definitely cannot evaluate is linebackers. Like Davion Taylor's not on the field. Sean Bradley's never on the field. Like TJ Edwards is solid, but he's certainly not been an impact type player in the limited snaps they've given him. Eric Wilson, like not playing well. Alex Singleton, great guy. The fact he's not just a special teamer, I think speaks to the lack of talent at the linebacker position. Like, so they, they have a defensive line where they're leaving huge holes there. They're counting on the linebackers to make plays against the run, and they can't do it. And then, so the result you're seeing is a defensive scheme that what Gannon wants to run, the personnel doesn't match up. And you're going to like this comment from me, but like that speaks to a lack of communication between the front office and the coaching staff, yep. or a lack of an ability to be willing to listen because, like, if, if Gannon's linebackers were going to be so crucial in this defense, I don't see how you go into the season with Alex Singleton as one of your starting linebackers, right? Like Eric Wilson, you can you can sell me on. Look, he was good last year for Minnesota. We took a chance on him. Like I understood that, but if you really needed your linebackers to be impact players, like Alex Singleton as an every down starter, like Davion Taylor as a top backup, like that is just a miscommunication between the front office 
and the coaching staff because there's no way anybody could have been confident in that plan if they were looking at it objectively together. Elliot, it's an outstanding point. It really is because we have just accepted for so long here in Philly, oh, Eagles don't don't value linebackers. That's just the scheme. That's just the way it works. Well, guess what? You have a head coach and a, and a coordinator here whose scheme needs better linebackers than what you have. It, it's a it's a fantastic point, and, and we're seeing the results. And, and the Singleton point is dead on. Like, he is a, a great guy. I really like him, and he tries his ass off. He is just athletically outmatched. And, and he well, still might be their best linebacker. He might like, be, for what it's worth. but he yeah. is like, he's one of those guys where it's like, it just feels like he's always running after the play. Like, no matter where the play is, yeah. he's always running yeah. after it. He's always running after it. Like, just just not good enough. You're absolutely right. And and that does come back on Howie. And certainly the communication between those two things, I, I think it's a, a fantastic point. Let, let's get to Nick. So, number oh, let, three, real quick, oh, if you don't yes, mind number three. Yes, of course. Fletcher Cox has oh, to be better. So I was like, going to get I, there. I, he was on, he's on I've my list. In, I, I can only, I'm sure, right? Yes. So. That, but, but that for me is number three. Like with Brandon Graham going down, who they clearly miss, like Javon Hargrave is playing really well. Josh Sweat, you know, it's kind of hit or miss because the penalties were huge, but he has been the only defensive end that's like consistently got after the quarterback. So I also can't kill him for it. But like Fletcher Cox has been, you know, if not the weak point, like the most disappointing part of the defensive line. He's the highest paid player on the team. They redid his deal to double down on him for 2022. They have always kind of catered to him. They're not doing it as much this year. And I think the three four is impacting his uh, his productivity a little bit, but I don't want to hear like the double team thing because he's been being double teamed for years, and now he just clearly can't deal with them. So the lack of production from Fletcher Cox is imp- is making the linebackers look worse because this defense was built to be strong up the middle, like Hargrave, Cox, the linebackers, like that's where they were supposed to be strong, or at least I should say the defensive front should take it off the linebackers. But when Cox isn't playing well, then your linebackers get extra exposed. So Cox playing poorly is a huge part of this defense not being as good over the last two weeks as I think they can be. 100%. I mean, he's been awful. He has been uh, checked out at times. Richie's been talking about it all season, saying, watch him on a double team. He just gives up. Like, he's not even trying to fight the double teams. He's just giving up on those plays. Obviously, on the stat sheet, it is showing up as well with, with, you know, one tackle or whatever it was, none last game. Like, really really disappointing and to your point especially in the situation they're in with Brandon Graham being lost like Fletcher Cox is is supposed to be the leader of that defense he's the highest paid player on the team outside of the guy in Indy who's not on the team anymore the highest paid guy and he also like look at the defense I mean if you want to call Darius Slay a blue chip player fine I wouldn't Javon Hargrave looks like he's becoming a blue chip player this year but like Fletcher Cox is the blue chip player on this defense like if he doesn't come through then then it's going to reverberate throughout the rest of the defense it is a fantastic point and back to the linebackers thing too one just to not let the coaches off though too much because I do think the talent lacks there but back to the you know thing we keep talking about over and over again is they're supposed to put players in the best positions to be successful so if you know your linebackers suck this much change it up a little bit again back to that all right now let's get to Sirianni because look I, I thought I thought Gannon was worse than Sirianni yesterday but man I, I, again I think the penalties you know we still and you want to talk about the penalties let's talk about it like Nick Sirianni has to do something. I understand that that this is, you know, something that that the players have to to do as well and all that type of stuff, but at a certain point, like how many weeks can you do this? How many weeks can this continue to happen? Like change what you're doing. 
you know, coach differently. Coach differently in practice. Do different things in the game where you sit a guy down or whatever you need to do. Like, I understand that it might not be totally his fault, but at the end of the day, Nick Sirianni has to find a way to fix this. So I think the way you put that is kind of exactly how I feel about it, which is he has to do something about it. I would take it a step further to maybe throw my opinion in there, which is he has to do something about it, but I don't think it's a problem he created. Like, I do not believe the penalties are Nick Sirianni's fault. I just don't believe that he's coaching them poorly or that he's not coaching it, right? Now, I know they said on the broadcast that his method of of coaching is in in – I guess they do this during the regular season because in training camp, I saw him coaching guys up closely. But I guess during regular season practices, which we can't watch, they don't correct on the field. They, co- they correct in the classroom. So maybe you switch that up. But ultimately, to me, the penalties are on the players. Flat out. Like, they know not to jump off sides. They know not to encroach. They, they, like, Andre Dillard, he has probably the best coach on the entire staff teaching him, right, in Jeff Stoutland. So I can't blame the coaches for the fact that Dillard – lines up in the wrong spot and then the gates a touchdown. And this is also a team that was extremely penalized last year. They were fifth in the league's league in penalties last year. They averaged almost eight penalties a game. They're at 11 now, which is more clearly like three more penalties should not be overlooked, but this wasn't a team last year that was, that was clean. Like they, they had penalties last year and it's a lot of the same guys. Like there are new players on the roster, but Devonte Smith has one penalty in four games. Like, they, like they're not rookies making these mistakes. Lane Johnson, who we'll get into, has five in in three games. Like number two on the roster, Isaac Sayamalu. Like these are veteran guys who are not just veterans. Like they're leaders. Like Lane's supposed to be a leader. Sayamalu, although quiet, is talking about like a leader. And when you look at the guys that are committing these penalties, like I can't blame Sirianni for that. So ultimately, I don't blame him. But where you're correct is he has to do something about it. But I don't know what that is. Like, I think it to me, it falls into the same category of the injuries of like, you almost just have to pray. Like, I, I don't know what you do. Like, I don't think benching guys make sense. And I believe he's teaching them. So maybe he could try to switch the method up. But I think his hands are tied here a little bit. And they just have to hope they go away. Because if they don't, they're not going to be a good team. But if the penalties go away, I think this team could put together a winning streak. Yeah, I, I- I agree that the penalties are a, a big thing holding this team back, and and as the schedule gets easier, maybe they can win more games without them. But I I don't I don't agree with the idea of you just have to hope it gets better. Like I, again, what I, would you do? I would sit players. I would I would sit players in practice. I would sit players in the game. I would do whatever it takes at a certain point. Like this is something you can coach, especially especially when like. The whole point of Sirianni, the whole, like, sell job for Sirianni was fundamentals, coaching. This guy's going to, you know, uh, get everyone to to play the right way and be doing the right things. And we're focusing on the important stuff again. Like, what's more fundamental than penalties? What's more fundamental than staying on sides, than not running downfield while the quarterback has the ball? Like, so I get your point. I'm not... I understand that this is not something that is, you know, it'll all fall on Sirianni. He's the one who's going to take the blame for it because he's the head coach, and I understand that it's not as simple as that. But ultimately, on a basic level, it falls on him because he's the head coach, and he has to figure something out. Like, he has to do something about this. And I don't know. I'm not a head coach. It's not my job to figure it out. No, all I, I know. Yeah, all right, I know right. is that this is unacceptable and that there, that there are certain things that you can't control, right? Like, if the guy across from you is bigger and stronger and faster, you can't control that. You just you do your best. And you play the right way, and you, and, you, and you get leverage, and you hope for the best. But what you can control is penalties. You can control not making mistakes mistakes, unforced errors, and and this team is not good enough to not control these things. 
Agreed. Now, you're right that we're not the coach, so our job is not to figure it out. All we can do is, you know, talk about possible ways to do it. But my thing with benching guys is to go back what I was saying, like, are you going to bench Lane Johnson? Like, if, if Lane comes back, are you going to bench Lane Johnson? Are you going to bet? Like, say Amalu's gone, so it doesn't matter now. But, like, Dillard, Barnett, Ertz, Sweat, Cox, like, I like, I understand maybe benching them and hurting the team is worth it in the long run if it sends a message. Like, I, I would get that. But it can't be overlooked that, like, benching these players is going to hurt the team when they're not on the field. And so if it's, like, a quarter, a half, whatever, like, for a team that's one in three and needs a win, you know, it's it's not an easy decision. I, I don't think it's as easy as like you just sit them. I, I don't think it's as easy as that. I get that, but yes, uh, to the the point you made at the beginning, it, that I do think there are some things that are more important, like uh, setting a culture, setting a tone with yeah, something like you could this. Be right. yeah. I think is more important than when, especially with this team this year, where you know whether or not they have a chance to win the division, like everyone knows it is not a a all-in type of year. Like, that's the type of year you do this type of stuff. You set the culture. It's like Andy Reid with Hageman. Like, you know, it's like he set a tone. He let people know how he was going to coach this team and what was and was not acceptable. And I think Nick needs to do that, especially as a coach who, and again, you know, this is all, we don't know exactly what he's like behind closed doors, but, but we get the feel that he is not, you know, he's more of a player's coach than a, than a ride him hard kind of coach. You know, especially if that's who you are to begin with, like, then you're going to have to find a way to have that edge when you need it. Like, you're going to have to find a way to, to convince these guys that you're not messing around, you know? And, and so, yeah. So, I, Ike Reese told a really good story in the pregame show yesterday, um, talking about Andy, since Andy was back. And you brought up Andy Reid. So this will make me think about it. I think it's a good example of like the, the situation Sirianni finds himself in. So Ike Reese said that prior to the first game of the season, the second year against Dallas, the pickle juice game, that the, he, that his special teams coach came up to him. I guess it would have been Harbaugh at the time. Harbaugh came up to him before the game and said, Hey, Andy's thinking about running an onside kick. And so then Harbaugh walks away and Ike said, he said to Mike Caldwell, who I think was the linebacker next to him, you know, this is crazy. Like what's this guy doing? And then before the game, Andy goes up to the special teams huddle and goes, we're doing it. And Ike said to him something like, I don't think this is a good idea, right? And they did it anyway, and it worked. And to me, that's a perfect example how a young coach does not have the trust of his team, but then moments or things, the way he handles things, change that in a second. Like, you can't tell me, Ike didn't say it outright, but you can't tell me that that instant didn't forever change the way Ike looked at Andy Reid from what's this guy doing to, okay, I trust him, right? And that's where I think Sirianni's at. Now, the reason this relates to penalties is he could handle this in a way where all of a sudden he earns a respect of the locker room. Like, he benches somebody, the penalties stop, and they go, okay, you know what? Like, this guy knows what he's doing. But on a larger scale, too, like, he needs that moment. And I think the penalties could potentially be an outlet for that to happen. But it's just a very tough road to navigate. Yeah, no, it is. Um, and, and it's a very good point. I, I do think he needs that moment, and and it theoretically could come from this. Uh, one more thing on Sirianni before we move on to other stuff, because, look, I know we're going to argue about this, and I don't think that that not running the ball was the reason they lost la- yesterday or whatever. But but I will say that, that from a scheme game plan perspective, back-to-back weeks coming in against two great offenses, like... I don't know. You know, I think there is a lot of validity to the idea of trying to control clock, of trying to run the ball more, to trying to 
to keep that offense off the field. And, and it just seems like he's gone out two weeks in a row and said, we're going to try and run with these guys. And that that concerns me. Again, I'm not saying that the uh, – because I know that, that – look, we have to talk about it. Philadelphia's up in arm. They were doing run the ball chants at the game yesterday. Like, you could hear it on TV. Fans yeah. yelling, run the ball. Like, legit. Like, so it's a thing. And I'm not – and I, I thought the Dallas game, we argued about it. I thought that was an inexcusable – inexcusable, uh, you know, lack of running game. And I thought they didn't run it enough yesterday, but I don't think it was the reason they lost. But just from a, a philosophical perspective is where it concerns me more is that Sirianni's going to both these games where I think most smart coaches would say, all right, what can we do to keep Dak off the field, to keep Mahomes off the field, to have the ball as much as possible? And that has not been a consideration for this offense, it seems, in either game. Yeah, so your call. one of your callers today actually made a good point, which – almost like counters everything that I think I could say to this, which is he called and he said, you know, everyone says throw, throw, throw. Well, the last two offenses that are two of the best in the league have scored in the forties running the ball. It's a good point. Like, and you know, part of it's personnel, like all those things, part of it's are playing the Eagles that are weak up the middle. So all those things are true, but I'm very much in the camp of throw the ball. Like that's how you come back in games. That's how you build leads. Like I am in that camp. But I, I'm also, and as a podcast, we are very much like hands up. We'll admit when we were wrong. Like the last two weeks, maybe I'm wrong about that. Like maybe that's not how it is, you know, because I did see the Cowboys score all the time running the ball. I did see the Chiefs score all the time running the ball. And on just a logical scale, thinking about it, like Patrick Mahomes, let me see, how many pass attempts did he have? He had, I have it right here. I know Jalen Hurts had 48 pass attempts. He had 30 attempts, attempts like, Mahomes. Okay, so just logically – I mean, you know, I, and I'm back on the Jalen Hurts bandwagon, but like Hurts shouldn't have more attempts than Mahomes. No. Like Hurts Hurt shouldn't have more attempts than Dak. And that's not a, not a slate on Hurts. Like Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. Like Dak is, if you know, Dak is in that conversation this year, right? Specifically. So like, yeah, I think they should run the ball more. But ultimately my heart and my head is still in the like, they didn't lose this game because they didn't run the ball. Like the offense scored when they ended up with 30, 30. points. Like the offense moved the ball up and down the field. So I, I can't fault the play calling. And like also they played a bad defense, but much like we said in week one where they played a bad Falcons team, but they beat them up. Like they played a bad Chiefs defense, but they beat them up. Like they moved up and down the field. What really killed them was the red zone. Like if they convert in the red zone, they, they maybe win the game. And so – you know, I can't get on it by running the ball too much, but also I'm admitting that maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, and again, I think it's the philosophical thing that, that concerns me the most is is the how you look at the opponent and scheme that game for that opponent. It just feels like there's been some missed opportunities the last couple of weeks. And look, we'll see. Again, Nick is young in his coaching career, in his head coaching career. You know, I am willing to give him time, but these are the things that make me concerned about him, that make me concerned about Nick Sirianni moving forward, both as a play caller and as a, obviously a head coach with the discipline and all that type of stuff. So, I, I, look. Well, one more quick Sirianni thing. Yeah, sure. No, never. So, I, I left that game feeling better about Sirianni than I did going into it because – Ultimately, Sirianni's going to be successful if he can scheme up offense and if he can get guys open and if him and Hurts work together. I just refuse to believe that Sirianni is going to fail because his players commit a lot of penalties. Like, I'm not diminishing the issue. I've said it's the number one thing. I just refuse to believe that'll be his downfall. Like, if he can scheme up, I believe he'll be successful. And you saw yesterday, you know, we can quibble about the amount of runs, but, like, guys were open and they moved the ball. And so I think you should feel... 
and like fans should feel better about Sirianni from that game because his offense was good. And ultimately, the, this team is going to go as far as their offense takes them. I, I generally agree. But again, I, I, I don't think because the penalties have been so bad because like I do think that matters like that, that it is a dis not that obviously the penalties matter. But I mean, for Nick Sirianni, it's like a, a disciplined team, a team that like one of the the. The things that, you know, in 2017, you remember, like, there were so many things that were great about that team. But one of the things I loved the most was that every single game when the whistle blew, like, they were ready to roll. Like, they weren't, they didn't make mistakes. They played smart football. They made the right plays. Like, they were just ready every game. And and this team is not. Like, this team is undisciplined. This This team keeps making unforced errors, keeps making mistakes. And I understand that, you know, Nick, it's, again, four games into his coaching career. He does deserve time to straighten it out. But he better straighten it out, is what I'm saying. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. But I just believe, at the end of the day, it's more important for me to see that he can scheme an offense that moves and then just hope he fix the penalties, as opposed to them being, like, never penalized, but the offense is a train wreck to watch. Oh, like, well, I, yeah. I, I mean, if it's one or the yeah. other, I, I I would agree with that. I think the, the, the it's easier to fix the penalties things than to not have an offensive scheme. And, look, we just still right. don't know about the scheme. You know, he's had two good weeks and two bad weeks. And, and you know, yep. hit or miss. Just so. like Jonathan Gannon, for what it's worth. Sure. And Jonathan Gannon had a much tougher opponent the last two weeks. Than, a, uh, than look, at you, look at you spinning it, JG. Um, all right, a uh, couple more. I want to throw some quick hitters at you, but uh, uh, Hertz, we didn't really get into it too much other than your your declaration that you're you're back on board. What were your thoughts on Hertz yesterday? So I'm back. Um, Welcome back. I think Hertz. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think Hertz was very good yesterday. Like really good passing the ball. Lots of really nice passes. He had one really nice one to Goddard over the middle of the field. He had a nice down the field pass to Devontae Smith. Once again, his path another pass to Devontae Smith that didn't count as a touchdown, much like the regular one was unbelievable. A nice, a nice deep ball. Just unbelievable. Yeah, it really like two well, times me, in four the, games. Like, and to me, that's a perfect example of why this is on the players and not the coaches. Cause we can like, we don't, we're not in the meeting rooms. We don't know exactly like how they teach, but you cannot tell me that they have not emphasized staying in bounds on that route, considering what happened to regular. Like if there's any rule that they're really emphasizing, you can't tell me that's not one of them, right? Like, would you agree with that? Like, they, well, they I mean, a legal men downfield would probably be the one that I would say. I think the Eagles are on pace to set a right? record so, for that. Right. But to, to Hertz, yes, I thought he played very well, very positive. I mean, he had 48 uh, pass attempts, and the ball was very rarely in danger's way. Like, he made good decisions. He, you know, he got out the pocket when he needed to. I thought the line actually played pretty well. But when I did there was too. pressure, he did a good, do- good job evading it. All those things. But I also have to be honest, like, those two passes he missed were really big. And they didn't lose because of Hurts. They were in it because of Hurts. All those things. But, like, these were not tough passes he missed. The touchdown to Zach Hurts in the first drive should have been a touchdown. That is an easy throw. And then the touchdown to Greg Ward, which Greg Ward should have caught, but was a tougher catch and he had to make it. Like, that's the frustrating part about Hurts' game is, like, he's not – he should not be expected to be perfect. He's going to make mistakes, all those things. But the two that he missed were big throws, and they were so easy. So No, I get that. But you could also say he had three touchdowns taken off the board because of penalties. Three, which I, like, yeah. I don't ever remember that. And look, every quarterback's going to miss throws. I, I, Hertz was not perfect. I'm with you. The Ward throw needs to be better. Ward should have caught it. The Ertz, the Ertz throw is, is the big miss. And look, the, the almost interception that, that he got lucky on, I mean, that was a 
horrendous decision by Hertz. There was zero reason to put that ball in that spot. That was a bad one. You're right. It was a really bad that. one, that and they got lucky because it hit the ground and it was the right call. But but it should have been an interception. But I agree on the whole. I, I thought Hertz played a really good game. You know, way more good throws than bad. I, every quarterback's going to want throws back. I, I was really impressed. I, I, he stood in the pocket longer. It seemed like he was less inclined to to bail than he was the week prior. You know, one of those things that we were worried about after after that Cowboys game. I thought he did a much better job of that. I thought the accuracy was better. And again, look, I, you know, we're eight games into this kid's career. He's twenty three years old, so it, it's it's the, we we have to judge him harshly because this is his chance. The Eagles are judging him yeah. harshly, but I, I think in terms of especially coming off the worst game of his career, I think I think. You certainly can't be complaining about Jalen Hurts today. I think he, he I showed you what he needed to do yesterday for you to feel better about him. Well, and the best part of it, too, if, like, again, this is the tough part that the part that Jalen is in, that he is both making his ace start and he's also fighting for his career. So, like, it's very hard to go back and forth on that. But the, the positive thing, too, is he came off a terrible game in the national spotlight against the biggest rival, and he bounced back in a major way. So that, from a mental standpoint, you say it all the time, above the shoulders, you know, that that's that that's a, a big positive for her. So that's why ultimately I walk out of that game and a one and three record is going to be hard to overcome. I actually think we'll learn a lot about this team next week against the Panthers because the Panthers are both a good team, but not an elite team. Like they're not the Cowboys or the Chiefs. So how they compete against Carolina on both sides of the ball, I think will be a really good indicator of where this team is at. But the reason I leave that Chiefs game feeling better than I did after the Cowboys game is solely because of Hurts and Sirianni. Like, if you listen to this pod for years, you know, like, as I, as I said on the pod that will, people will never hear because of technical issues, like, I'm a bucket boy. I like points. You did say that's that. How, like, that's just how yeah. I roll. I enjoy offense. Like, so if Sirianni and Hurts are playing well, I feel good about the team. And the fact that they had a good game yesterday, I think is reason to feel good about what the few, what the rest of the season could be. All right. Uh, we'll get out of here in a minute. Uh, we have more uh, on the uh, the preview pod later in the week. There's a bunch I still want to get into. Quick shout-outs. Dallas Goddard is really good at football. Give him the ball more. Uh, Kenny Gainwell looked great. Was really excited about game one. Obviously, Devontae Smith's best game in the NFL, even with the, uh, you know, stepping out of bounds. That one catch he made on the sideline, I mean – that was the best catch we've seen an Eagles receiver make yeah. in a and while. Like, the Miles Sanders thing is weird, too. So like, weird. Like, you know, what happened there? Well, I texted you this, but, like, I think people would view Miles Sanders as a good tra- draft pick by Howie. But if you're going to use a second-round pick on a running back, like, he can't be splitting snaps. Like, he has to be a number one type back, and they just don't use him that way. And so I don't know if that's, like, it's definitely not the front office, I would guess, because you would think they'd want Miles Sanders to play. But, like, they just clearly don't view Miles as a number one every down back. Like, right or wrong, like, that's their feeling on it. Because he had less fewer fewer touches than Kenny Gainwell did, and he's averaging 12 touches a game for the first four games. And that's not enough for a guy if you think he's the number one back. 100% agree. Like, And especially because he's looked good when given the opportunities. All right, last thing before we get out of here, and again, we'll be back later in the week. We'll dive into more from the game and, and look ahead to Elliott, uh, the must-win game against the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, must win. I I actually agree with you. Like, I'm with you. I think this season, it's a pivot point, especially, you know, with Tampa Bay and and Vegas on on the heels of that. But um, quickly, the lane thing, uh, really strange. Obviously, we all kind of hear, you know, right before the game, essentially, you know, when inactives come out, it's like, oh, wow, like, lane's not playing a personal matter. We still, right now, we're recording this at 2.40 on Monday, and Nick Sirianni's speaking soon, so we'll see what he has to say if he addresses it. But 
Um, no lane. It was just kind of weird, Elliot, yesterday to, to go into the game, and, and it's very rare that you don't. First of all, that it's something like that where they say personal matter, and then over the next you know 24 hours, we still don't know what happened. Obviously, I hope he's okay and all that, but we still don't know what happened. It, it's just strange. Yeah, it's it's strange. That's the best way to put it. Like normally, and it feels weird to talk about it this way. But like, if there's a death in the family, which you know, I hope that's not what happened, and I hope everybody's okay in his life. Like, if it's something like that, you hear about it. If it's, you know, God forbid, he got in some type of legal trouble, like that would be out as well. If he failed a drug test, like that would be out. If it was COVID, so like, you run through all the things it could possibly be, and I don't want to call them standard things, but like reasons players normally miss games, right? Like you know, family tragedies, you know, incidents with the police. Like, you don't normally miss games for a small thing. So hopefully he's okay. Hopefully, yeah, I guess that's really all you can say. Like, until we get more information about it, I mean, look, like, if it's something major, whatever, like, we'll probably do an emergency pod or we'll talk about it the next pod. Yeah, like, we definitely I will. think all you can do at this point is just is hope, is hope that everything's okay with Lane. And, yeah, but it's definitely strange. Like, the timing of it, the, how, when Sirianni heard about it, the fact that when they talk about Lane – there's not a lot of like sympathy in their voice, you know. Yeah, they don't well, go up that there and was say, that. Uh, yeah, dude. Did you hear Nick with with Angelo this morning? Angelo asked about it, and he was just like, "Yeah, uh, you know, I got nothing. A personal matter." Yeah, you know, it was I mean, like he's, very, he's very like, curt. You know, a, a normal answer would be, "Yeah, look, Lane's dealing with a personal situation, but you know, he knows we're here for him, and you know, he's family. So one one of my core values is family for this team, and you know, we we know we're we're here for Lane, like." So I don't know. So we'll see what it is. But the way they're ta- the way they're talking about it, the lack of information, it just feels weird. It really does. It really does. And if it's anything big, obviously we will be uh, we'll back. We'll figure it out. We'll talk uh, about it. But let's hope it's not. You know, let's hope it's just uh, for some reason it's just something normal and and it didn't come out for whatever reason. So um, we'll find out. We'll find out. Um, and uh, again, we'll be back later in the week. Of course, Parks Picks Pod coming up later. I usually get to our records then, but I'm. Pretty sure I had a uh, a better week than Elliot Shore Parks. Uh, considerably better. I literally <laughs> had one of the worst weeks I've ever had. I don't want to talk about it until we have. Maybe one. it's a lesson about not crowing too soon, potentially. Yes, that's true. <laughs> when you don't get many opportunities to crow, you know, crow away. I love it. I love it. So we'll be back um, later in the week with all that stuff. We'll dive into it. And, of course, if, if any lane news breaks or something like that, um, depending on – we again, we have no idea – um, we'll be there for that as well. So uh, I'm guessing no final thoughts because you've been absent on the final thoughts. No, like I said, I mean, all I think about is Eagles right now. So, like, you get all my thoughts throughout the pod. Um, yeah. So I'm well, I'm at this point, I'm just thinking about Carolina. It's not like a coach, but, like, now Yo, I'm, like, thinking about – yes, we're yeah. on to Carolina. I love yes. this. Oh, like, you know, all right, I do have one very quick thought. Ooh. I thought the Tom Brady uh, New England game was cool. Like – when you talk about the NFL and like what makes it exciting, like that was an event and it was exciting to watch. So I know oh, you I hate do. Tom Brady and all that stuff, but I it was, do. it was a cool event. I agree with you. I, I thought it was, it was fun. Now the game itself could have been more entertaining, but the rain and all that, that kind of ruined it. At least it was right. close and all that, but um, yeah, I'm with you. I thought it was a lot of fun. And um, look, I mean, you know, I hate Tom Brady, but I also respect Tom Brady and what he's accomplished. So, um, you know, do you think he's ahead of Michael Jordan on like the all time goat list? Wow. Um, it's a tough one. It's a tough, it's a one, tough to one. I need to think. Think about it. About it. Let me think it. about it. It's a great. I, my gut instinct is no. You know, six for six and all that. But but let me think about it. Let me think about it. All it's, right. It's a great one. Um, and yeah, it's a good way. Good way to end the pod. Um, and uh, again, we'll be back later in the week with everything. And uh, um, big 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 game. 
Big game coming up yes. against Carolina. We'll preview that coming up later in the week as well. So until then, for Elliot and James, we'll talk to you guys soon.